Hello, you're listening to the Sydney Writers Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name is Valerie Koo and you can find us online at sydneywriterscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips and valuable ideas on how to get published. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Corey Taylor is a freelance writer from Brisbane, best known for her children's books, including Rat Tales 1 and Rat Tales 2. Her first novel, Me and Mr Booker, will be released in March 2011. She's also an award-winning screenwriter and teaches art theory at the Queensland College of Art. In 2010, one of her short stories was selected for inclusion in the Best Australian Writers Collection. Me and Mr Booker is already receiving a lot of interest in literary circles. The book's main character, Martha, is 16 and living in a small town with her mother. She's in a rush to grow up for something to happen and starts a relationship with a much older married man. Her attraction to the charismatic Mr Booker leads her on a journey into adulthood and ultimately to heartbreak. Thanks for joining us today, Corey. It's a great pleasure. Now, you've clearly had a very long interest in writing. Can you take us back to how it all started? How did you get interested in it and what made you decided to, to pursue this as a career? Ah, uh, Well, um, the truth is it does go back to high school and an influential teacher. Um, I had the great fortune to be taught by a poet called Jeff Page. Um, and... Uh, you know, I was, uh, uh, English was the only class that I was fascinated by. Um, it was the only class I looked forward to. Everything else about high school I've forgotten. Um, <laughs> and uh, it started there. You know, I started writing juvenile poetry when I was at school. Um, had no idea what the writing career involved, uh, but I was hooked, I think, probably at that age. Mm. And, then, and then as a serious proposition, I didn't, I, I, you know, I went through university. I studied history. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and I didn't really think about it as a career until after I'd finished university and the film business in Australia was taking off and I really have a great love of film and I had this fantasy that I could write for film. So I did, and I, I did that for a number of years, as you'll probably know. Mm. <laughs> and it's interesting that you say you never really thought about it as a career till after university. Do you know why that is? Because I, I do hear that a bit from uh, from different writers. Yeah, I mean, very honestly, it's, I'd never met a writer. I'd never met anybody who actually called themselves that or claimed to make a living from it. <laughs> and I suppose... You know, that was, I mean, I think if you grow up around people who do this and who, who, who seem to survive, it probably gives you some confidence early on. Yes. But, but because I'd never met a writer, I, I suppose I just thought, you know, one has to do the conventional thing and get a proper job. Right, yes. <laughs> so, um, and film, I mean, the great advantage of film was that it paid. So, mm. you know, that was, that was an attraction, I suppose, for film. But no, I didn't have the courage, to tell you the truth, to just abandon university and start writing, mm, but mm. I didn't know anybody who'd done that. 
And so you went into screenwriting, but obviously now you've gone into um, young adults, children's books, and you must do academic Mm. writing as well. Is there a style you prefer or that is easier or that you just gel with a bit more? Ah, those are three different questions. Um, (laughs) Look, fiction writing is absolutely the thing I love the most. Right. Um, Not because it's easier. (laughs) Uh, academic writing is probably the easiest, and I I try not to do any of that. Mm. Um, I did, you know, I did it for my PhD and thought, nah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, uh, so fiction writing is absolutely it. Non-fiction, I I love writing because it's a because it's a kind of rest from fiction. Mm. Um, I mean, I think the thing about fiction writing is that you you can constantly surprise yourself. Mm. Um, you can, uh, you can with other forms of writing, but the surprises you get from fiction are just uh, so good. Uh, that you know, it, it it draws me back again and again. So, what do you mean by you're constantly surprising yourself? What what yeah? What does that because mean? I think you're going into areas. I mean, I think you sit down to do it because you're going into areas that you don't know anything about, and that's mm. you're led into those areas by some perverse kind of curiosity to mm. see what's there. You know, and if you dig deep enough, you'll find something that you really had no idea would come up. Mm. And it's it's completely fascinating and quite addictive. So, um, so yeah. when you start a story, you've got mm. something that's compelling you to explore. That to explore, mm. Uh, mm. do you know it's going to be a do you, do you know it's going to be a book? Do you think I'm going to write a book now and start, or do you just start and see whether it turns into a short story or a book or or whatever? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty. I suppose I'm pretty clear at the beginning whether it's going to be a short story or a longer piece, mm. um, because I think they're so they're such different things. Mm. You know, one, is, I mean, the longer pieces are such marathons, and the short pieces are so great because you can actually probably in a week know what they're about. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, the short stories are much more contained in that way, and and they give you they reward you a lot quicker mm. <laughs> because you know because really if they're going to work, they're going to work in the first draft. Yes. There's going to be something there that you know is singing a bit and then then you can work on that. With a novel, I guess it's a much greater risk. So you just launch into it and hope for the best. (laughs) (laughs) And with your novels then, with your fiction, Hmm. do you, because do some writers have it all plotted out and, and some writers just start and see where it goes. What do you do? I'm in the middle, or or I try and plot it out and hope that it doesn't go that way. Because if it does, <laughs> well, because if it does, it just feels like you've thought it through before. And if mm. it doesn't, you just use that plot as a springboard for something that you, you know, like I said before, something you didn't see coming. And that's when it's really fun, I think. Mm-mm. Yeah. And so, tell us a bit about me and Mr. Booker. How did this come about? <laughs> um. Me and Mr. Booker is a, a story that I have been thinking about for a long, long time. Mm. Um, somebody asked me the other day, was it easy to write? And, I, and I, I, I replied that had I known how to write it 20 years ago, I would have. <laughs> so mm. no. In the end, it came semi-formed. You know, It did feel like something that I had thought about for a while. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was something I played around as, uh, with as a film um, and then shied away from again because... Of the material, the material mm. itself is very. It was very difficult. It mm. was very difficult to know how to talk about, you know, that story. Mm. Um, 
And the thing that really nailed it was finding that voice, finding the voice of that girl. Mm. And once I had that, and once I was confident that I knew how she spoke and how she thought about her life, then I could follow her through the story. That sounds a bit weird, but I, I know other writers say that. Mm. Once you once you have that sort of confidence in a character, they do actually lead you down the pathway, for mm. better or worse. <laughs> so your main character is Martha, and she's mm. 16, living in a small town with a mother. Yeah. Were you, at 16, living in a small town with your mother? Pretty much, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's quite a common a common experience. I, I'm always drawn to these suburban stories of, and, and in film too, these small suburban stories of young people caught in mm. in situations that they really can see no way out of. Mm. And and yeah, I did have that suburban upbringing. Um, my mum, my mum and dad split up when I was in high school, and you know we're going through troubles before that. Um, I, you know, went to an average high school uh, where I thought everybody else was far more normal than I was. Everybody else's parents seemed terribly happy and uh, little did I know, you know, because mm. you discover years later that that's all an illusion. Mm. But yeah, yeah, it comes out of that suburban adolescence. And of course, everybody wants me to ask, was mm. there a Mr. Booker? Oh, look, I think all your characters, I'm not shying off that, that question, but I think all characters are an amalgam of a whole lot of people that you've known mm. over a long period of time. Mr. Booker, yeah, there was somebody I based that character on, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then embellished and and intensified, I suppose, by other people that I'd known. Mm-hmm. So he's an amalgam character like everybody else in the book. <laughs> Well done. (laughs) Now, inevitably, people are going to make comparisons with Lolita. That's, Mm. I'm sure that happens all the time. Were you influenced by other books like that? I can't tell you how flattering that is. (laughs) I sure, well, I was, and I did go back, you know, because of my difficulty in finding a way into the story, I did go back and read Lolita, and I did. A, a book that probably had more influence was um, The Lover by Marguerite Duras mm. um, because I I think I wanted to flip the story around and talk t- tell it from the point of view of the girl mm. because I think we see it's we're quite familiar with the feelings of older men for young girls and it, it almost seems common sense or natural but I don't think we're so familiar with the reciprocal feelings of girls for older men. Mm. So that, you know, Lolita was definitely a starting point in that sense. You know, how about, what if, what if we flip it around and tell the story from the other side? Mm-mm. Mm. So you talk about the lover. Now, you've spent a lot of time in Japan mm. and you've written about Japan and, and, you know, tell us about how that um, uh-huh. interest in Japan started and, and why it's so fascinating to you. Well, my husband's Japanese, so there's right. you know the the major <laughs> kind of point <laughs> yes. to make. Um, we met in the classic sort of way. I went to teach English in Japan. I was uh, writing for television at the time, desperate to do something other than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have read somewhere that teaching English as a foreign language is the last resort of the desperate. So <laughs> I went to Japan in my late twenties. Um, met my husband. Um, he was actually married at the time. I probably shouldn't confess that on the radio. <laughs> but um, he was, uh, you know, we we had a great time, but obviously it wasn't going anywhere. And I, 
I came back. But Japan, ever since, you know, has been a great part of my life. My husband then came uh, to Australia, which he adores. Um, but we've had two kids. We've gone back to Japan so often. It's uh, you know, looking back, it has been such an important part of my life, mm. and somewhere that I somewhere that I would like to spend more time now that the kids are grown up. Mm. Mm. And when when you write about um, uh, whether it's screenwriting or or, or, or fiction or whatever mm. it is, do you do you? have to switch hats do you have to do anything to get into a particular zone to write say a children's book versus you know something else oh, I, th- I think so uh, my kids books de- definitely came out of a period where my own kids were young mm. so in a sense they were addressed to them and and I was so intensely sort of involved in 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 them at that age I'm not sure that I could actually do it now just the kids books right but, you know it might be something I'd have a go at at some at some point because I just adore kids' books, and I've got no excuse to write them now or read them. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, with screenwriting, it's a completely different exercise because it's so collaborative. Mm. And, I mean, that's another reason why I just love writing fiction because you're responsible for everything on the page. You mm. know, if you foul it up, it's completely your fault. If it's great, then you can hang on to it mm. and not have other people come in and mess around with it. Mm. Um, so there, there are different exercises in that sense. But I, I, I'm not sure that I'll go back to any of those forms now that I've, you know, experienced the joy of writing this book. Mm-hmm. If, in that case, then it kind of sounds like an evolution in yeah. your writing journey. What do you think the next part of that evolution is? What do you think, what kinds of books do you think you'll be writing next? I just want to keep writing fiction mm-hmm. um, for, for as long as I can. I mean, you, you panic at, at the end of one book and think, Oh, that's it. I've said everything I wanted to say. You, know, <laughs> you do, and you think, "Oh my God!" You know, I've got to do another one, mm-hmm. and another one, and another one. Where's that going to come from? And then, strangely enough, things percolate up. Um, mm. Ideas that I've had years and years ago that jump back at you and and want another go. You know, mm. are you so, writing um, your next one now? I, I have started the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose out of fear and trembling that if I don't. <laughs> I never will. <laughs> no, it's because because you do think there's so many other things that you wanted to say when you write. Well, in my experience, the first novel, you know, I had to lose half of it at some point, mm. um, and so there's a lot of material there that belongs in another book. So there, so ho- hopefully, you'll find a home in the next book or the next one after that. Mm-mm. So mm. then tell us about, now that you're writing the next novel, mm. tell us about your daily writing routine. Do you have a routine or, or do you, you know, tried, is there a ritual? <laughs> I try desperately to keep to a routine, mm. but the flooding in Brisbane has completely <gasps> failed it up because yes. um, um, I work at the State Library and oh, uh, oh. it hasn't reopened. Mm. So, so um, mainly I work there for the air conditioning. But, <laughs> But, um, yeah, I try – my best hours are between 10 and 2, mm-hmm. I've discovered. I'm not an early morning, morning person or a late-night person. Mm. Um, so I leave home because there are so many distractions at home. I mean, anything is easier than writing, so hanging out the washing is a pure joy if you can <laughs> delay going to work you know, by, by that method. That's great. Yes. So, you know, I really do have to go away uh, to get away from all those other uh, possibilities. And, mm. then, and then I'm – at the desk, at the library, and, you know, the rule is that I don't get up until I've, until 2 o'clock or mm. I've hit the 
800,000 word mark or whatever it is that day, mm. <laughs> depending so on how hard it is. You set yourself a goal of a certain number of words? I try. I try. I try the 1,000 a day. I rarely get there. Mm. But, but if I'm 800 and it's 2 o'clock, I think that'll do. And then I'll probably come back to it in the afternoon just to have a look at what I've done in the morning. I try to do that. Right. So then pretty much you, you put it away after 2 o'clock. Well, I mean, you look at it in the afternoon, but then you put it away, get on with life and restart again the next day. Yes, it's a very short working day when I, when I talk about it, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, pretty much, but it's always bubbling away. That's, yes, That's the fascinating thing. Yeah, so that, you you know, I'm I'm at the desk for four hours and the rest of the time it's percolating and, mm. and, and then you sit down to it the next day and you find that you've thought through till the next point, which is great mm. if it happens. Sometimes it doesn't happen, but often it does. And with me and Mr. Booker, I know you said that it had been brewing for many years, mm. but once you finally decided, you know, yep. this is really, I'm going to do it, yep. how long did it take you? Probably the first draft took uh, eight to nine months. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a bit of a mess. So I can't remember exactly the chronology, but... Uh, I probably sat down to do a rewrite and that happened quite quickly, mm. probably two months right. on the rewrite. And it was a pretty savage rewrite because the first half of the book worked fine, the second half of the book got lost. Right. So it was probably a you know a rewrite of the second half of the book. And that happened quite quickly. As I said, it was Martha who saved it because I, I you know, I, once I tapped back into her, I could... I could find a way through it, which was just a joy. And so when you say it was quite a savage rewrite, do you mean in terms of the actual plot or the character development or uh, what really changed? Yeah, there were too many You know, I lost – I had to lose a character, which is very challenging. Mm. Um, and then the second half – the first half of the book was completely driven by the, the affair between Martha and Mr Booker. Mm. And then I think in the first draft, uh, the affair kind of finishes halfway through, and then it, it and then it's the kind of aftermath. Mm. And it was my editor who actually said she didn't think that worked, and mm. I knew that it didn't really work because the whole uh, momentum of the book was the affair. Mm. So I went back in the second half of the book, in the, and rewrote the second half of the book so that the affair had not really finished. It it was on the cards, but it mm. didn't actually finish. And it was it was in many ways very hard because it was so it was so painful. I mean, the whole thing was so painful. All we wanted to do was for Martha to leave and get away. Mm. But she had to stay mm. for the purposes of the story. She had to stay for the purposes of getting to the end of the affair. She had to stay. So that was really hard. So I guess I worked quickly because I wanted to get it over with. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously then it's quite emotionally draining. Um were you able to? Is it something that you can switch off from, like two o'clock? <laughs> or um... yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely, because it's fiction. Thank yeah. heavens. <laughs> mm. I mean, you are living only vicariously through these people. So yeah, uh, I, I can't imagine what it would be like if you had to, um, if you had to live with them twenty-four hours a day. I mean, in a sense, you do, but you you do know that they're fictional. Mm. <laughs> I think the moment I get confused about that, it's probably time to give up. And in terms of getting, as you're writing during your eight or nine months, and, and mm. now obviously you're starting on that journey again with a new mm. novel, 
what do you keep it to yourself or do you get feedback from certain readers or how, mm. how, how does that work? Is it very isolated or do you, do you actually seek feedback during the writing process? Not really. Um, I try to get a, a, a really strong grip on things before I show it to anybody. Mm. I talk about it because I find that when I try to tell the story, this is something I learned in, in, in writing for film as well, mm. That the more you tell the story, the more you condense it for somebody in, just in conversation, the, the stronger it becomes. So you have to, in a way, you're tr- sort of defending it or you're telling it to yourself and seeing if it stands up. Mm. So I talk about it in that sense. I'm a bit guarded about it because you want to keep some of the surprises. Mm, mm, mm. Um, having said that, though, I have sort of bounced the idea off the editor, my editor at Text, and, mm. and and got feedback from her, but I, I wouldn't be showing it to anybody apart from her at this point. Mm. No. Yeah. And so can you tell us a bit about what your next novel is about? Yeah, it's um, a little bit of a departure, but but really uh, inspired by the character of Victor in Mr. and Mrs. Booker, in, mm. in Me and Mr. Booker. Um, it's a, an older man who has become a bit of a recluse and panics around Christmas time every year and He sets off on this journey to atone for his sins, if you like, because he's he's treated his his family quite badly, and and in the process, kind of lives an untruthful life. So it's it's that sounds very serious, but he's he's also hopefully quite a dark comic character. Mm. Um, So off he sets, and of course nobody really wants to see him, and. um, his visits fall a, a, a bit like a lead balloon, and the, he has another motive for his visit because he had he has he does have a dark secret, and part of his journey is uh, a journey into the past. So he's writing this kind of um, memoir journal uh, as he as he goes, mm. which is digging deeper into something that happened to him during the war, which he hasn't really up to so mm. yeah so, so is there more research involved in this book for you well again this is a story that's been hanging around for a long time it, it's something that I worked on as a screenplay it's an area that I've been interested in for a long time mm. um, so the research had already been done I reread a couple of uh, uh, historical works that I'd read before mm. um, just to refresh my memory but it's been sitting there for a long time I've got a lot of these you know stories stacked away in the drawer <laughs> um, that were screenplays and would never see the light of day, so they will pop up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and finally, what's your advice to people who are listening, who love writing, that maybe in the middle of their novel, um, but they haven't yet found mm-hmm. a publisher or an audience? What's your advice to budding novelists out there? Never give up. <laughs> it sounds such a cliche, but just don't. Mm-hmm. Um, just keep keep going and if it's difficult that's a great sign because it means you've hit knots that that um you know will be interesting to unravel it should it should feel hard it should feel hopeless at times (laughs) (laughs) um but if you really want to do it you will Mm. and um yeah and stick to routine it's good Mm. you know it gets you through those days when you just think i have absolutely nothing to say Mm. <clears throat> and nobody could possibly be interested in any of it anyway. <laughs> if you've got a routine and a, and a mechanical kind of goal, you know, or a technical goal, this many words, it gets you through those days. And there are a lot of them. Mm. Um, and 
Yeah, once you're confident that there is a story there that you are curious about and you want to see, you want to see where that story goes, then you probably could show it to people. Um, I mean, I've benefited greatly from the Queensland Writers' Centre, so you know, I would recommend to anybody that they go and do uh, short story or novel writing uh, workshops. Mm. It's fantastic to meet other people in the same boat as you. That's the other thing, you know, to realise that you're not alone. <laughs> um, and to learn how to analyse other people's work is great because it helps you to analyse your own work. And that's the other thing. I mean, you do have to be two people. As a writer, you have to be your own best critic. You have to be a writer and write really badly first. Mm. <laughs> but you do. I mean, you have to write badly in order to write anything. Mm. And But then you have to be your own best critic and, and be able to look at that work with a fairly cold eye. Mm. So I, I'd recommend those writers' workshops for that kind and, of training. And you talk about those sort of mechanical days and, mm. and some of the tortured days. Can you describe to us, as we you know finish off, can you describe to us what are the joyous parts? What are the parts that just, you know, give you a sense of elation as a writer? Oh, um Apart yeah. from when you write the end. <laughs> <laughs> or you get the call to say, we love it. You know, yes. that, that, there's no beating that moment, I tell you. Yeah. But, um, um, yeah, it's just those tiny things that go ping where you just think, I never, I didn't see that coming. I didn't realize that that character was capable of saying that. That is a surprise. That's fantastic because now I know more about that person. I, I'm getting to the, to the stage where I can take them forward mm. it's when you don't know the characters and you you're floundering and they seem to be contradictory and that's when it's difficult when they say something or do something or appear to you in a way visually mm. you know the look of them appears to you those are the moments that you just savor and those are the ones you hang on to no matter what you know you mm. don't give them away wonderful and on that note thank you very much for your time today Corey. absolute pleasure You've been listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online, including details about our courses, seminars and online learning, as well as information on our regular competitions where you can win books, movie tickets and literary experiences at www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au or visit me on my personal website, www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au ValerieKoo.com. That's ValerieKoo, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.